What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your M.O.? To find your M.O., tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. Today, knowing that the Broncos are picking early this year in the draft, we're breaking down John Elway's track record as a GM in the first three rounds of the draft. Has Elway been as bad as they say? And we're going to analyze Derek Wolf's future in the orange and blue. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me tonight is MileHighHuddle.com senior draft analyst Eric Trickle, also the host of his own show, Trickle Down Theories, the podcast. It's got three episodes. It's killing it. It's doing great. Eric, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks. I'm glad to be on. We have a lot we're going to break down today, um, but first, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod and Mile High Huddle on Facebook and Twitter. Also, you got to understand the show. We're not here to just go through the news. We're here to give you a deep dive each and every week on your favorite team, but we do need your help. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you take a second, go to iTunes or go to Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show, and leave a creative review and rate the show. You have no idea how much that helps us uh, grow and reach new listeners. We need you to take a second, if you haven't, and get that done for us. Now, again, a couple things we want to get to today. Really interesting conversation, but first, we got to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. This is a app that I use on a daily basis. Right now, I'm still getting through a book called 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. That's really interesting for people who are looking for a little bit more of a philosophical bent on some self-help motivational stuff. Keep you sharp, you know what I'm saying? But uh, maybe that's not the type of book for you. Maybe you're looking for something sci-fi or some fantasy, some Star Wars, some Hobbits, whatever it might be. Go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Take advantage of the free 30-day trial, your free audio book. Find something that works for you because you're able to listen to this stuff while you're doing other things. You're multitasking. You're driving to work. You're going to the store. You're working out at the gym. You're in the kitchen. You're in the yard. Whatever it might be, Audible allows us to 
turn the pages on the book, so to speak, without actually having to sit down and do so. We can multitask and get that done. I love it. I think if you take a, ch a chance on this and give it a, a, a swing, so to speak, you'll love it too. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, capitalize on the free audiobook download and the 30-day free trial, then come back, let me know how you liked it. All right, everybody, the Shrine Game is in the rear view, the Senior Bowl's in the books, and now with the NFL Scouting Combine coming this week, that means it's full-on draft season. It's Eric's favorite time of year, and even though I'm no draft Nick, I can't deny it's one of the most intriguing times on the NFL calendar. And with the Broncos, let's face it, coming off a 5-11 and season, one of the worst finishes in the last couple decades, there's no question that this roster has to improve. And that's why this offseason in particular is so critical for the Broncos, Eric. Between free agency and the draft, the Broncos have zero margin for error this time around. I mean, this year, Eric, Elway cannot be allowed any mulligans. No, he really can't. If they want to get this the ship righted, they have to nail this offseason. They have to bring in the right free agents. And they, most of all, they have to hit in the draft. They can't afford these guys that oh, hey, we're going to draft you, you're hurt, and then we're going to sit you on injured reserve for a while. They can't draft guys who are going to fumble their way through the season. Mm. they got to find guys who can come in and contribute right away. Otherwise, it's looking grim in Denver for the next few years. As a front office czar, if you will, John Elway has seen a lot of success in finding value guys in both the draft and free agency. I mean, outside of Von Miller, Finding diamonds in the rough has arguably been uh, his biggest success as a front office guy, including the college free agent ranks, right, with Chris Harris, C.J. Anderson. But heading into what will be his eighth draft as a front office shot caller for the Broncos, how has he done in the first three rounds, the most critical rounds of the NFL draft? And Eric hit it. I mean, the draft this time around is going to be arguably the most important facet of the offseason for the Broncos. So let's take a look back. And Eric, you're a draft expert. Before we kind of jump into Elway's resume in this department in the first three rounds, let's define what the expectations are for a player selected in rounds one, two, and three. And I'll start us off. For, to me, a first-rounder should be an immediate starter uh, slash impact player who has Pro Bowl you know, the, the, the ability to become a perennial pro bowler. Second rounders, at the very least to me, should be starters relatively soon and also impact players. And then third rounders, they should be starters too. But if not, they got to at least be key contributors who play out the entirety of their rookie deals with the team who drafted them. Now, that's me. Let's go through these with you. As a first rounder, how would you define success for a team? A guy who starts, a pro bowler, what? For the most part, it really actually depends on what position. For a pass rusher, I can kind of be okay if they're not a starter right away, if they're just a situational pass rusher. Quarterbacks, it depends on what their ceiling is, if they actually have to have time to develop. But for the most part, I am looking for an immediate starter or major impact player. And they've got to be somebody that's going to be able to get to the Pro Bowl consistently and even hit that second contract with the team that drafted him. Hmm. That's interesting, the second contract. We'll, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. Second round, how would you define the expectations of a second round selection? Not looking for pro bowlers as much. I mean, granted, that would be nice. I'm looking for guys who can come in and start hmm. pretty much day one, but I know that that's not always going to happen. If they're not starting day one, then they got to be contributing from day one, whether it be on special teams or offense or defense. They have to contribute. 
if they're not contributing year one, then they're it's going to be hard for them to get away from being that bust, in my opinion. Right, right. And, of course, it's there with the first-rounders. It's there with the second-rounders, too. Getting that second contract is another big thing, and it's going to be a big thing with all three of the first round, first three rounds. Now, would you hold third-rounders to the same ideal or expectation as you would second-rounders? Pretty much, yeah. I think I'm not so much on them having to be a starter. Those are guys that you may be looking for a starter two or three years down the road, not mm. year one or even year two right away. Right. But they got to be, they got to contribute in some way. I mean, obviously if they get hurt, it throws a wrench in everything. You can't, it's hard to make a judgment if they get hurt and miss most sure. of the season. But if they don't develop into something, into a starter, that's relatively good as a starter and they're not looking at that second contract, even if it's just a one-year contract to see, then it's they're likely going to be a bust for me. All right. You heard it. With that in mind, let's go through all of Elway's first-round selections. We'll start off uh, to determine where he hit and where John Elway missed. Now, 2011, that's, that's pretty easy. Von Miller, a clear hit. I think we can both agree on that, right? Yeah. Okay. 20, uh, 2012, no first-round selection. We'll get to Denver's first pick in 2012 here in just a few minutes. 2013, Sylvester Williams, the defensive tackle, hit or bust? I got to go with the bust. He didn't contribute right away. It took a little bit of time before he was able to contribute. And he only had one good year in Denver, and he didn't get that second contract. Fair. That's fair. For me, I see Sylvester Williams as a hit. Now, while he might not be the, one, of the, one of the ways I defined a first-rounder as having uh, you know, being kind of a Pro Bowl perennial type guy, he was to me. He he made an impact. He he was a starter on two Super Bowl squads, got a Super Bowl championship with the Broncos. So I do define him as a hit. But we'll come back to that. Uh, Twenty fourteen, Bradley Roby, hit or bust? I think it's a hit. I mean, being able to get him as late as they did, and him falling simply because of something off field. I think it's a hit, and i got to mention, he was my top cornerback that year, too. Absolutely. Hit to me as well. Bradley Roby has been an absolute godsend for the Broncos as a first-round pick. Of course, they extended his his uh, fifth-year option, too. So that, I think, adds to some of the cred- uh, credibility on his resume of being a first-round hit for John Elway. Now, moving on, it starts getting a little bit more rocky. 2015, outside linebacker edge Shane Ray, hit or bust? Bust for me. Awful against the run, and best ability is availability, and he's been dealing with injuries basically since he was drafted. Bust for me as well. And my biggest thing with Shane Ray, aside from the injuries and his uh, his inability against the run, is that he's he, he was brought in to be a speed rusher and a guy who can put consistent pressure on the quarterback. And while he does get some pressures, he's just really never been able to get home consistently. And to me, that's what separates, you know, the greats and the pro bowlers and the, the true first-round hits from some of the guys that bust out is, you know, you gotta, you got to be able to produce. And let's face it, if you're an edge player, if you're not stopping the run, you better be getting after the quarterback. And Shane Ray hasn't been able to say he can do that consistently. 26 26- – oh, go ahead. Actually, I actually have an interesting stat on Shane Ray. Mm-hmm. I was looking – I'm doing an article about – the pass rush of Denver and where it's dropped down to since 2015. And overall in Shane Ray's career, he's averaging one sack like every hundred snaps. Mm. And Bon Miller is somewhere at one one sack every 80 snaps. 
Hmm. But there's the caliber of sacks is different. Right. A lot of fan rays have been covered sacks that have been three or more seconds after the snap. That's like that uh, the game against Cincinnati. <clears throat> uh, I think it was 2016, in which he, uh, you know, he tallied three sacks and he was going against Andrew Whitworth. Week four, yeah, it was week four on the road. You know, you look at that on paper as a box score scout, and it looks like he's a burgeoning star. But if you go back, and I did a film study on that particular game, focusing on Shane Ray. I mean, he lucked into multi, almost all those sacks, if I recall. All three of them were him either getting lucky from the, the secondary doing their jobs or just the quarterback kind of rolling out wrong. He, he wasn't beating his man. He wasn't winning one-on-one off the edge. Yeah, that's a big issue is, as I said, it's been covered sacks. He doesn't win one-on-one very often. And that's something you got to be able to do as an edge rusher. And that's also an issue I have with a different Broncos pass rusher, but that's a mm-hmm. whole different topic. Shaq Barrett, right? Yeah. Well, uh, so Shane Ray for both of us, bust. 2016, Paxton Lynch, hit or bust? Bust. I mean, I was able to give him a year sitting on the bench because he needed it. But year two, he lost the job. Trevor Simeon didn't win it. Lynch just played so bad that they couldn't they couldn't roll with him. He lost the trust of other veterans on the offense. He lost the trust of the coaches, and he even lost the trust of people in the front office. Yep, I don't think there's any other way you can categorize Paxton Lynch at this point for the Broncos other than a bust. But to me, and here's where I'll throw a little bit of a, a monkey wrench in this whole thing, is I don't necessarily think it's all his fault. I've been pretty clear on this from the beginning. And I know, you know, he is someone like yourself, Eric, who studies and and scouts the draft in depth. You saw Paxton Lynch as a guy who needed some time, and and I'm sure he did. And I I wouldn't disagree with that. But I think the Broncos, at a certain point, you have to play your first-round quarterbacks if you really want them to develop, if you really want to see what you have in the player. Just like any position, you got to play them, but especially quarterbacks. And the Broncos failed to do that really in 2016. And you could argue that some of that had to do with Gary Kubiak and him not being 100% in on the Paxton Lynch pick and all that politics that went into that with Trevor Simeon and all that stuff. But year two, I think the Broncos really missed the boat in just saying, you know what? Hey, Vance, you're taking this job. Mike McCoy, you're coming in as offensive coordinator. It's not, hey, what are you going to do to make Paxton Lynch? That's better. That's part of it. But listen, Paxton Lynch is the guy. Trevor Simeon's the backup. So that's you know that's your mandate from on high. Is this is your guy? Make it work. And I think the Broncos really missed an opportunity because even if you look back, Eric, on that summer in which he last year in which he once again was vanquished in an open competition against Trevor Simeon, I don't think he should have been put in a situation that time around where he had to compete in an open situation with Trevor Simeon. And he might have bumped his head. He might have still fallen down flat on his face. The season might very well have you know, ended just as badly, if not worse. But at least the Broncos, Eric, would have had a clear bead and understanding of what they have exactly in Paxton Lynch. And even though right now, as armchair GMs, we can sit here and call him a bust, even the Broncos have to be eating their hearts out a little bit because they still don't really know what they have in Paxton Lynch. They they obviously think they do. They have a good enough understanding that he ain't it today and we need a guy today. But can you imagine how that's going to feel for them if he does go somewhere else and goes on to have any kind of modicum of success? That's going to hurt. Yeah, it will. And I stated well before the season that 
Denver should have announced that Paxton Lynch was a starter as soon as they hired their coaching staff. There, should have, there shouldn't have ever been a competition. Last year in 2016, we saw enough of Trevor Simeon to know that he isn't a long-term option to be a starter. Yeah. This was before he completely fell on his face this last year and showed that he can't even mm. be a backup in the NFL. <laughs> but it, it needed to be Lynch. At the very least, if the team falls flat, as they did anyways – you're getting a high pick, and you know that he's not the he's you know he's not the answer for sure. Yep. Now there's still question marks about him. You can't say for sure he's still a bust, though it really is trending that way. Right. And there's just more questions than answers. Agreed. So I think it's it's safe to say that although we both would categorize Paxton Lynch as a bust, first round bust for the Broncos in 2016, it's not entirely on him. Um, but let's move on to 2017. And when we get into 2017 and including some of 2016, it's a little bit more dodgy because we don't have as complete of a picture in which to go back and analyze. But still, we'll kind of base it on what we've seen so far. With Garrett Bowles, the first-round pick 2017, for you, Eric, hit or bust? He's a hit. He's He wasn't high on my board last year, and he's actually proving me wrong. He doesn't have that much experience on the football field, and it showed a lot this last year. But he showed the growth that's needed. He showed a lot of promise, and he showed that he can get to that point. It's just going to be a little bit more time, and I'm to- I'm expecting a much better year this he next year. He gets a lot of hate uh, for the penalties, and and for good reason. I mean, he should. There are certain points in the season in which his penalties really killed the offense. He was already struggling on on life support to get any kind of momentum going. There were times when it was just you know face palming for Garrett Bowles, but. Going back to his experience, and I should say inexperience, playing left tackle, um, I mean, he had one year of, of Division One college football experience playing at Utah after coming from JV. Help listeners understand, because I think this is a narrative that has gotten blown way out of proportion in Broncos country, Eric, that Garrett Bowles is a bust. Now, it, it, it isn't helped by the fact that just about everybody on Denver radio is uh, pounding the table saying that this guy, you might as well cut him, he's a bum. Help listeners real quick before we move on help listeners understand why it is that a young tackle like Garrett Bowles would struggle so much with penalties in particular why that's an issue he just doesn't have the discipline on the fields drilled into him yet it's it takes time to know these things that you got to do being able to time the snap right and all this stuff sometimes you're going to be a little early a lot of his false starts were right before the snap came so he was just a little too quick it's just when you don't ha- when you only have two years of football experience, mm-hmm. you don't have the timing down set perfectly. You don't have a lot of the technique set perfectly. And going with those two years experience into the N- into the NFL, facing the competition that he has to face in the NFL, right. there's going to be rough bits. Like, plain and simple, you're he's he was his head was underwater, sort of so to speak, with jumping from JV to Utah, to the NFL within three years. I think that it's pretty safe to say, and we both agree on this, that you give Garrett Bowles uh, more time in the league, more time working with his position coach, more time working in live bullets type situations and those type of real reps. And, And make no mistake, his rookie year was not an abject failure. But when he did fail, when he did fall on his face, he he's going to learn from that. And I think with his raw ability, I mean, you go back and look at what he did at the Combine last year was absolutely ridiculous. There's a reason why Denver fell in love with him. I think you give him more time. Garrett Bowles is going to be a guy, when you look back, when we're analyzing Garrett Bowles 
uh, four years from now, like we're analyzing the 2012 and the 2014 classes. I think it's going to be quintessential for most fans that he's a hit. But if we look at this, let's total this up. First round, I called four out of six selections hits. So that's Elway succeeding 66.6% of the time, according to my definition. For Eric, Elway's batting 50%. Okay, he's batting 500. Three of his six selections were considered hits. Now keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it. We're going to circle back once we get through this. But not entirely encouraging to start off. But let's move to the second round. 2011, the Broncos had two selections in the second round. The first being safety, Raheem Moore out of UCLA. Eric, hit or bust? It's a bust for me. He was able to come in and start right away, but it was really rough throughout his whole career in Denver. He didn't get a second contract in Denver, and I don't think he's been actually in the league for the last couple of years. And that's So it's yeah, a bit bust. That's true. For me, I think, you know, the fact that he was able to, and of course, the Broncos really strong-armed this, him coming in and starting right away, um, obviously, and as they should with a second-round pick, in my opinion. But I think the fact that he was able to come in and start, and it wasn't all bad for Raheem Moore. He never loved to tackle um, outside of that one hit on that Buffalo Bills uh, wide out during the preseason. We never really saw him lay the wood. But if you take away the snafu against the Ravens in the playoffs of the 2012-2013 season, I think – most fans would have an entirely different perspective on Raheem Moore, and maybe even the team, Eric, might have had a different perspective on Raheem Moore. I think there, when his contract ran out, I think there was kind of a mutual let's uh, you know let's let's baptize the the dirt office, so to speak, and, and move on. Yeah, I can see that, and I just don't get why fans linger on that play so much. Yeah, Raheem Moore made a mistake, but he wasn't the only one. <laughs> Robert Ayers and Tony Carter both made big mistakes that contributed to That's that as true. well. And those of you who have been following and reading Mile High Huddle for all these years, you know exactly what we're talking about. We've This isn't the first time either one of us have brought up that point. But let's move on to the second selection in 2011 in the second round. The uh, offensive lineman, Orlando Franklin, out of the University of Miami. Hit or bust? This is one I actually went back and forth with. I ended up going with bust simply because he didn't get that second contract from right. Denver. But I can... I would be perfectly fine switching it over to hit because he came in, he started right away. It wasn't all bad. He had some penalty issues with holding, but he played well at right tackle for what, three years. And then he moved into left guard and played really well for his last year. So I can, I can see the thing argument, but it was just came down to that second. Contract. I see him as a hit just because of his contributions in the four years that he was a starter. Were it not for him getting absolutely decimated on the edge as a right tackle in Super Bowl 48, He's another guy I think Broncos fans would have a little bit of a different opinion on. But you can't erase the past. You can't erase. I mean, that's part of his resume. Um, I think he spent a lot of time this past season actually out of the league, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless, even if that's not true, Orlando Franklin, to me, because he was able to be a perennial starter for the Broncos right out of the gates, both at tackle and guard, I see him as a hit. Now, let's move on to 2012. And Derek Wolf was actually Denver's first pick in this draft it was early in the second round out of cincinnati defensive lineman hit or bust definitely a hit this he exceeded all expectations when he came to Denver. he got that second contract he's become one of the best run defenders in the nfl and he's capable of putting some interior pressure on opposing quarterbacks hit as well for me obviously key key contributor to that uh all-time 2015 defense for the broncos and i see as time goes on 
uh, the 2015 defense, I think, in the NFL, you know, the NFL at large, the, the 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 media and the fan base, it's losing some of its luster. But I'm still 100% confident, even taking off the orange-colored glasses, in putting the 2015 Denver Broncos defense up there with the uh, 80. You know, there's 85 Bears, there's 2,000 Ravens, and I think you got to put the Broncos right there along with the 2013 Seahawks as four of the best defensive of all time to win it all but let's uh let's move on to the second selection 2012 the broncos also had two second round picks this one is interesting brock osweiler quarterback arizona state hit or bust it's a bust it just came down to the fact that how things ended with him in denver the first time it wasn't the best of terms between the team and the player and you got to look at some of the other players that were on the board russell wilson was still there and they passed over him because of John Elway's son's relationship with Osweiler. And that right. just, that's, that's a hard pill to it swallow. Is. <clears throat> and this is similar to your uh, case with Orlando Franklin. I've rated Brock Osweiler as a hit and I'll explain why, but I can also easily, I could easily switch my, my analysis on this and call him a bust for the same exact reasons. But to defend my position in this case as a hit, the reason I say that is because were it not for Brock Osweiler, uh, in 2015, the Broncos would not have been able to win the one seed. And without the one seed, they would not have been able to make it to the Super Bowl in which they won the world championship. So I think if you were to ask any NFL GM that, hey, look, if you invest a second round pick and they could know full well ahead of time and you're guaranteed at some point that this player is going to help deliver you a world championship in his first four years of his contract, will you take him? I, I think 32 out of 32 GMs are going to take that deal. So that's why I see Brock Osweiler as a very modest, very, very modest hit for the Broncos. Now, 2013, and as we go through here, this is where it starts getting murky. Monte Ball, the running back out of Wisconsin, hit or bust? Bust. He started to show some promise in that Super Bowl run that they got blown out by Seattle, but he wasn't able to take over the starting reins. Too many miles on his tires that just he, he lost it he lost all bursts he lost he lost his talent basically and we found out also of course bust for me as well and then we found out after the fact basically two years after he left denver that uh his fall a big role that had to do with him uh as you say losing some of his talent and then of course falling out of favor in denver was alcoholism he was struggling badly with alcohol now as someone who has a time or two in my life uh, had a drink, maybe one too many, and woke up the next day not feeling too hot. You know what I'm saying? A little hangover action. I can't understand how alcohol and something as physically demanding, an alcohol addiction and something as physically demanding as football are conducive, especially when you start thinking about hydration. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting case because I don't drink like a lot, but those times I have, it's you're constantly having to Every, for every drink I have, I'm basically chugging a bottle yeah. of water afterwards because it just dehydrates me so much. So I don't see how you can be an, have, be an alcoholic and play a professional sport that requires so much right. and so much fluids into your body. You know, I can understand, and this is the last thing I'll say and we'll move on because I don't think too many listeners are interested in uh, Monte Ball and his particular plight in the NFL, but I can understand how players can uh, you know get a little bit sideways when it comes to pain medications pain pills opiates uh, because of the pain and the and the you know just the hardship that is playing the NFL basically the war of attrition and the way that these painkillers are 
doled out like you know juju beans to these players by team doctors. I can understand like Brett, the Brett Favre's of the world who get addicted to painkillers while they're playing, um, and even marijuana because of its painkilling ability. But the alcohol thing, I'll never understand. All right, moving on. Twenty fourteen, wideout Cody Latimer. Now here's my shame as a draft analyst, and this was a good indicator why I should never been a guy to be a deep diver on the NFL draft and become a scout. Cody Latimer, believe it or not, was the guy I was pounding the table for as the number one receiver in 2014. I loved the pick. I I wanted that pick and got the pick. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Pick. He was a he was a bust. But for you, Eric, hit or bust Cody Latimer? He's a bust for multiple reasons. I remember during this draft, I, I think you were in a group chat with Luke and I. And I was complaining or somewhere I was complaining about the trade. Mm-hmm. I hated the trade. There was too many other receivers on the board that I liked. I wasn't a super big fan of Cody Latimer as it was. So he's definitely a big miss for me. I had, he wasn't even in my top eight receivers and four of my top five were still on, or four of my top eight were still on the board or something like that. Alan Robertson and Jarvis Landry who come to mind. Right. Right. And you know, the thing with Cody Latimer is even if he ends up getting a second contract from the Broncos, which he very well might, it's not going to be due to his primary position, which is wide out. If he gets that second contract, it's going to be because of his contributions in the third phase as a special teamer. And I still, even though he might get that second contract, I cannot categorize a guy who was drafted so highly in the second round as a hit even though there are some extenuating circumstances playing behind multiple pro bowlers and having a hard time seeing the field with Peyton Manning calling shots and all. I mean, there's there's more to the story with Cody Latimer, but I'm with you for now in that he's a bust. Now, 2015, Ty Sam Brylo, offensive tackle, one of the big fellows from the thin air of Colorado State. Saw him up close and personal myself during the pre-draft process at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. I liked what I saw in terms of his athleticism at the time. But even the players and the coaches and everybody talking at the Senior Bowl that time around questioned his functional strength and his power, which we saw down the road come back to bite the Broncos in a big way. For me, clearly a a miss, a a, a bust. How about you? A bust. I never liked the pick. I never liked Sambrello. I I, I never wanted him in Denver. And I argued with so many people about him that it's... It's hard not to look back and smile because you know that, hey, your opinion was right. Mm-hmm. But it, it sucks at the same time because it ends up hurting the Broncos in the long run. He's a guy, and here's what I'll say. To put some a little bit uh, a little bit of a positive spin on Tyson Brylo, I think if he had been drafted two or three years earlier in the heyday of Peyton Manning when the Broncos were dealing with the absence of Ryan Clady for this injury or that injury, if he would have been drafted back then and been available to the Broncos, I think with a guy like Manning who sees the field, pre-snap reads, making the checks, making the calls, getting rid of the ball so quickly, I think he would have been a serviceable left tackle in that scenario. Never would have been great as a, as a run blocker and opening up holes in that sense. But I think he could have at least gotten by. 
but uh, we saw him start those first three games of his rookie year, and he was solid. I'll, I mean, I'll I'll, say, I'll argue with anyone. He was solid those first three starts when he played at left tackle after Ryan Clady got injured again. And uh, then, of course, the other big knock on, on Sam Brylo, you can't make the club from the tub. He just could not stay healthy in Denver, and thus was his fate sealed and traded to uh, Atlanta. Now, 2016. Adam Gotsis, the big defensive lineman. Boy, you got to love the trunk on this guy. <laughs> hit or bust? He's a hit for me. I actually was one of the few people that was defending this pick last year. Yep. Everybody was saying that it was too early. It was a reach. This guy who was going in the second round. He was going early third at the latest. Teams loved him. They loved the raw potential he had. And so many defensive coordinators and defensive line guys wanted to get their hands on him and mold him. That's why Broncos defensive line coach pounded the table for him. Yep. It injury his, his injury recovery delayed him making an impact last year, as well as him being still raw. But this year he's on that upward trend, and he showed just how devastating he can be. Yep. When he was on, man, he was on as a run defender. I'd like to see a little bit more out of him as an interior pass rusher, but man. As a run defender, he was just downright phenomenal at times last year, and I think for the most part was quite consistent in his second year. All right, last second-round pick we'll analyze here, Demarcus Walker, uh, the three-tech interior defensive lineman out of Florida State. Again, it's early. We didn't see much of him as a rookie, but what you've seen so far, what you know, hit or bust? I got to admit, the Broncos have a knack for taking guys in the second round that I am not fans of. I wasn't a fan of Demarcus Walker. Right. He he had a limited chance to show anything this last year. He had an issue where he got sick before the season. He lost some weight. They took injuries at outside linebacker. They moved him to outside linebacker. They moved him back to defensive line. Then I think they moved him back to outside linebacker. Then they moved him back to defensive line. They just couldn't find a place for him. He limited opportunities. For now, he's a miss, but maybe he steps up and changes that this year. And I agree. At this point... If I had to hedge my bet, you know, roll the dice, make a prediction, I would guess four years from now we'll we'll be looking back on this pick as a miss. But to give some optimism to the situation, the one thing I'll say is after the Broncos got wise and realized that he's not a stand-up edge rusher, we saw in Week 17 the team play him at his natural position inside. And he made multiple plays both in the run game, which surprised me, um, and also rushing the passer. So there is some hope still left for Demarcus Walker in Denver. So going over our, our total in the second round, I had five out of nine picks being hits. That's a 55.5% hit rate for John Elway in the second round. Eric, much more negative analysis on those selections. He had two hits out of nine selections for a 22.9% hit rate in the second round. Finally, we'll go through this third round relatively quickly because we're getting a little long here. Let's analyze the third round, starting with 2011, the off-ball linebacker, Nate Irving. For you, Eric, hit or bust? It's tough for me. I wanted to put hit, but ultimately, again, it came down to that second contract. He's a miss for me. They drafted him to play inside linebacker, and he ended up making his contributions as the strong side linebacker in Von Miller's time away. Right. I'm putting him as a hit only because he was a pretty consistent contributor. He he, pri- he played a lot of Sam, but he also played some Mike, and I, I don't think he was terrible. I, this is one of those I could go back and forth on, so I'm giving, I'm giving uh, Elway a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt here than I probably should, but 
Nate Irving also went on in that second contract to get a decent deal out of the Indianapolis Colts. Didn't work out too well for the team, but he did uh, you know, blossom a little bit beyond the Broncos. It was short-lived, but there is that. So hit for Chad, miss for Eric. 2012, the running back, San Diego State, Ronnie Hillman, hit or bust? He's a hit for me. I never liked the pick, but he showed enough to make me wrong on him, I would say. My biggest issue came down to fumbling, but he still was able to con- he was still able to contribute. Um it's a hit for me as well. It was nice having a running back in the orange and blue who was a true threat to break one off at any time. We saw the you know, the, I think the biggest play he made as a Bronco was that 80-yard touchdown run against the Vikings in 2015. But the one thing about Ronnie Hillman, I'll give him credit and I think this goes to his uh, resume as a hit is that you know you come out of 2014 cj anderson is all the rage in denver's went to the pro bowl had over a thousand yards total yards from scrimmage in the final eight games of the year double digit touchdowns pro bowl all that and yet he could not seize the starting job away from ronnie hillman ronnie hillman started every regular season game in 2015 if i'm not mistaken only to give way to cj anderson as the starter in the playoffs so i'll give him that ronnie hillman he helped the broncos win a championship I'll consider him a hit. 2013, Kayvon Webster, the cornerback, hit or bust? A hit for me. He didn't. He developed into a pretty stable cornerback number four, but it was his special teams play that really makes him a hit. He was fantastic. A lot of people were crying because David Bruton left and he stepped in and filled his shoes and even improved the special yep. teams play. And another key contributor on that Super Bowl 50 championship squad. I'll give him this. I think that in almost any other NFL squad, Kayvon Webster would at least have been a a cornerback number three. Um, You go back to his rookie year, and he had to, uh, excuse me, he had to match up with Des Bryant, that big shootout. Everyone remembers the whatever it was, 52 to 49, whatever that final score was against the Cowboys, where the Broncos came out on top. Peyton Manning got his lone rushing touchdown as a Bronco. He went toe-to-toe that game, Kayvon Webster with Des Bryant, and he won more of those snaps than he lost. So also I consider him a hit. 2014, this one might be a little bit more controversial between Eric and I. Michael Schofield out of Michigan, the offensive tackle slash guard. Hit or bust? He's a bust for me. It's simply because he didn't last that long in Denver as a starter. Yeah, he helped contribute at times, but they couldn't find out what to do with him, and then ultimately they just cut him free. That's the biggest negative for me is the fact that he couldn't play out his uh, the entirety of his rookie deal. But I'm considering him a hit because he was a starter on the offensive line in Super Bowl 50, got a world championship. And you know what? Even though it wasn't always pretty, you go back and you look at his performance from the playoffs on, and he held down the fort. He was solid. So I'm, I'm considering Michael Schofield, again, one of these modest hits for John Elway. 2015, the tight end out of Ohio State, Mr. Jeff Hireman, Hit or bust? He's a bust. I had a lot more hope from him coming out, and he hasn't shown any any of the things that I thought he could do in the NFL. And what drives me nuts with him is that he absolutely will not go out and try to get the catch. It has to be straight to him. Otherwise, yep. it's going to be incomplete. Yep. Absolute bust. He's also a guy behind closed doors, things I've heard, uh, that has not made himself very welcome at Dove Valley. Not in terms of personal conduct, some little things you know, here and there. He's... He's not a guy the team is too high on, and he's an, he's one of these guys heading into 2018. If the Broncos can get Jake Butt where he needs to be and maybe bring in some other competition, I, Jeff Hireman is in no sense guaranteed a roster spot this year. So definitely a bust for, for me as well. I don't think he makes it to training camp, to be honest. There you go. I think they I think they either cut him 
in June to free up a little bit of money for a draft pick or they trade him away. Yep. If they can find a biter. Agreed. What good is he? What good has he been? He can't he can't block, doesn't want to block, and he can't provide the Broncos with a, a seam target or I mean, he's just he's a bust. Jeff Hireman, get out of here. Twenty sixteen, the safety out of Boston College, Justin Simmons, hit or bust. Definitely a hit. I mean it is still early in his career, but it's gonna be hard to change it from hit to bust unless he just completely nosedives. Agreed. Justin Simmons has been a an above average, I think, hit for John Elway. You look at his third round resume, Justin Simmons, I think thus far has been one of one of his successes. Twenty seventeen. This is disappointing and painful for you, I know. It's painful for me as well, because I got all tripped up on the hype between you and Nick and everybody talking about Carlos <laughs> Henderson. Hit or bust? It's a bust for what we show we're what we've seen because we haven't seen anything. Right. He was struggling in camp. He his routes weren't as crisp as they can be. He was struggling making the catches, and then he gets hurt. So yeah. I mean, obviously, if he's healthy this next year and he's able to contribute, this will change. But this last year, it was definitely a miss. Had also struggles acclimating and assimilating the playbook, which is is not good. And then on top of that, one of the reasons for our pessimism here with young Carlos arrested on marijuana charges this offseason. So who knows? He's still got plenty of time to turn the ship around, but if we have to project into the future based on what we know now, we are in agreement. He's a bust. 2017, also two third-round picks, or, uh, yeah, third-round picks, excuse me. Brendan Langley, the cornerback out of Lamar, the guy that was once a wide receiver but did not want to play the position, and he did not want to play it so badly, he transferred to a secondary school, went from Georgia to Lamar Hit or bust? It's a miss. It's a bust. He He's raw. He wasn't going to be ready this year. And when he did see the field, it was obvious that he wasn't ready. And he didn't contribute on special teams like people were saying. And like I was told that he would be doing year one. Right. It just, just a miss. And I'll never forget. I mean, granted, it's not a great situation to put your rookie in. And this is one of the ways in which Aqib Tlaib really hurt his team in 2017 but it's hard to forget that play on fourth down fourth and 10 fourth and 12 whatever that was against the Raiders when he was matched up one-on-one against Cordero Patterson and he just had to hold down the fort and Derek Carr lofted one right over his head and they converted and held on to the win Brendan Langley learn how to play cornerback buddy that's what you got to do you're in the NFL now you're not a receiver you wanted to play cornerback you're you got three of the best in the league ahead of you Here's my hope that you can turn the ship around, but I'm not optimistic, so that's a bust for me. So we look at the third round. For me, I had five out of Elway's picks being uh, hits. That's a 62.5% hit ratio for Eric, three out of eight, which is 37.5. So just to review, in the first round, I had Elway, in terms of success, hitting at 66.6%. Eric had him at 50%. Would you say, at least in the first round, Eric, it would be fair to say you should be hitting on 75% of your, your drafts after seven, eight years. This is actually an interesting comment because for years we've been hearing about John Elway and his inability to draft an early round. So last summer I took a look at every other team's general managers that have been with the team for at least three years. Mm-hmm. And the average has actually been about maybe 50 to 55%. Mm. So he's actually – kind of on track with the rest of the NFL in the first round. In the second round, he's well below, especially by my standards. Mm-hmm. It was up at 
I want to say 60 to 70% in the second round. Mm-hmm. So it's, I can't remember what it was on the third round, but it's yeah. for, for the first two anyways, it was kind of, or the first one was on par. Second one was well below. I think it's safe to say that John Elway as a front office guy, as a GM, as a talent evaluator, he's not as bad in the first three rounds as many would make him out to be. But at the same time, flip that coin, some of those guys out there with the orange colored glasses, Elway is certainly not as proficient as some people would have him be. And the whole reason we're going through this, the whole reason we we made this a topic of discussion today, is that, again, we look back at what we've learned from John Elway in his seven years drafting for the Broncos, and especially in the first three rounds. And we're trying to project that into such a critical offseason that is 2018. The Broncos just have to hit on their picks this time around, especially in those first three rounds. I mean, I would argue in the first four or five rounds, but at least in the first three rounds, these have to be players who can come in and immediately make an impact. And i got to say, Eric, at this point with what we know, I'm not super optimistic, but if there's any ray of hope that can maybe change the formula a little bit, it's the fact that he's going to have a a familiar face, kind of new to the process with him there, helping him formulate the decisions, building the boards, the scouting reports, making the decisions, and Gary Kubiak. And so it will be interesting, you know, you go back and why the Broncos brought in Kubiak uh, as a scout six months ago before he was promoted up through the scouting department into the front office. He was brought in, Elway said this himself, with a specific uh, focus on finding offensive talent to fit the Broncos. So, we know that's the that's the area of weakness. That's where the Broncos need to raise the most ships in 2018 is on the offensive side of the ball. Getting a quarterback is going to be a key role in doing that. So let's let's put on some, uh, you know, there's cause for a little bit of optimism here that maybe this time around with a new voice and someone that Elway truly respects and probably isn't afraid to disagree with, with Elway, that there might be a better success rate this time around in the first three rounds with Kubiak there helping to balance things out. Yeah, and from what I hear is last year, Vance Joseph didn't have much of an input on the draft picks. So, and he's he's considered a rather good talent evaluator. So I'm actually kind of curious to see how his input will change things, or how yeah. his input would change the outcome of this next draft. And I hope he does get more of a voice because whether he – lives or dies, I think he needs to have some footprints uh, or or rather fingerprints on this team. And we know that he's going to have much more control on his coaching staff this time around. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see if he does end up with more input on draft day and in free agency. And if so, you know, it's going to give us a more, a a fuller body of work with which, and the Broncos front office and and ownership and, and Joe Ellis, the president with which to analyze Vance Joseph. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to wins and losses. Let's face it, as a head coach, you're either winning or you're losing. But uh, the Broncos and Vance Joseph can make a lot of hay while the sun's still shining if they can hit in free agency this year and the NFL draft. If there's a moral to take away from this episode, it is that. Now, we do have one more important topic to get to today. But first, I want to holler at you about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber and why now's the time to pull the trigger. We're going to be at the Combine. Now understand, the Huddle Up podcast, Trickle Down Theories, these are extensions of what we do at milehighhuddle.com and our approach to covering the Broncos isn't just about reporting the news. Everybody does that. And in fact, most sites stick to the newswire because let's face it, that's what's get uh, you know, it's, that's where the clicks are at. 
What we focus on, and we always have, is breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews like Eric just published yesterday, breaking down Shelby Harris, X's and O's, deep dive player evaluation, scouting the draft, scouting free agency, leading all through the offseason. We save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. Now, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written content, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. Click the monthly option and you can be locked in for 5 bucks a month or you can pay $49 for the year and save 11 bucks. It's up to you. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any inside information that we pick up along the way, including what we learn about Denver's intentions at the 2018 NFL Scouting Combine. Now, we work hard to bring you what we believe is the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web and we ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. And now's the time with everything going on this offseason and the draft coming up, free agency. So pull the trigger. You have my word. You're not going to be disappointed. All right, Eric, before we get out of here, I want to talk about Derek Wolf. And I've received a few questions on this, so I thought it'd be appropriate to break it down. Now, at Mile High Huddle, as we've been you know, speculating on what's going to happen when the new league year opens up, we have highlighted the primary candidates uh, for release, for trade, I mean, ad nauseum. And it's fun to talk about, and we get little pieces of buzz here, you get little insider stuff here, and it's just it's fun to talk about. But one player that I think we've very briefly floated just for the sake of the fact that he's a guy that's making good money and he's a veteran is Derek Wolf. But I don't think any of us seriously have propagated him as a candidate for release. However, NFL Network's James Palmer recently mentioned Derek Wolf as a possible candidate for release. Now, before we get into it, I want to set the stage because since entering the league in 2012, he's missed 17 games due to injury, which is actually quite a lot. Now, Wolf was a rare recipient of an in-season contract extension back in 2015. Usually, the Broncos prefer to sign guys during the offseason, but the team foresaw Wolf's price tag going up. And so they bit the bullet in season and extended him. He signed a four-year, $36.7 million contract, which included a $7.5 million signing bonus and $17.5 million guaranteed. Basically, an, an average annual uh, salary of $9.175 million. Now, this year, he's on schedule to count for $10.7 million against the cap, and he's had multiple neck injuries, just had surgery on his neck. He claims that, now I'm probably going to butcher this, but a foraminotomy procedure completely alleviated the nerve pain that had forced him to miss seven games over the last two seasons. So there's some hope there. But with all that being said, Eric, how much of this in your mind is just gratuitous speculation and how much could be real with regard to the Broncos possibly moving on from Derek Wolf this year? When I first got word of Derek Wolf being floated as a cut, I immediately hit up my sources because his he was one name that I've never had seriously mentioned to me. I mean, Akeem Talib, CJ Anderson, Menelik Watson, all these guys have been mentioned. Even Darian Stewart and Brandon Marshall as serious candidates, but never Derek Wolf. I hit one of my sources immediately responded back and said that it is a ploy to try to get him to restructure his contract to lower his cap hit this year. And since then, I've had a couple other sources that have backed up that line of thinking mm -hmm. that it isn't a serious option to cut him, that they're just trying to do something about his contract and lower the cap hit. Also, when you look at his contract this year, 
it's really hard to get out of him out of out from underneath that contract before June first. Right. You actually end up barely. I you either end up barely saving any money on the cap with like a four point five million dead cap hit again on dead money with four point six being saved, or it's four point six dead money to four point five saved. I can't remember which. Right. But a June first, it really changes the numbers a little bit. And I think if you're going to wait that long, it's going to be a move to free up space to sign the draft picks. But at that point, I don't think that Denver would look that way. I, I, I'm I'm sticking with the, what my sources are telling me, and that it is just floated out there by the team to try to get him to be more willing to restructure his contract because he loves it in Denver, and he actually does want to stay there. And he's just quintessential Denver Bronco. I mean, he is one of the biggest success stories, I think, in John Elway's career as a draft uh, evaluator. I mean, he was a guy they found in Cincinnati that came in and immediately started and got six sacks as a rookie, contributed big time, even after that scary neck injury, came back strong, contributed mightily to Denver's world championship run, and a phenomenal beast against the run. And when he is healthy, he is a guy who can put some pressure on the quarterback from the inside. Uh, Three of his six years in Denver, he's gotten at least five sacks or more. And so I think the Broncos, if there's anything to this story, it's what you're saying and what your sources are telling you, Eric, in that it's a little bit of smoke, not fire. It's smoke in, a, in an effort to try and manipulate Derek Wolf to possibly accepting some kind of a restructure. And even though he's been out there in the media talking about how he could make, you know, I think I think already said something like $12 million on the open market or something like that, I think even Derek Wolf, <clears throat> you know, behind closed doors would have to admit that in a best-case scenario, considering his injury jacket that he's probably making right now what the Broncos are paying him about the max, what he could find on the open market. Yeah, and I mentioned the sack per snap with Shane Ray, and I have it for Derek Wolf too. And for his numbers for being that five-tech, three-tech interior rusher are actually really good. In 2015, it was one sack every 118 snaps. Mm. Then it was one sack every 121 snaps. This last year was a little bit different because of how they ran their defense. They pulled them out on some passing situations and didn't. And it was one sack every 230 snaps. So this last year was a little anomaly, and his injury didn't help because that also limited him. He started having issues with it before they put him on injured reserve. Yep. But what he's making now, I think, is it's top end of the open market for him, if not a little bit over. Right. It's not a situation with Akeem, like Akeem Talib where if he gets cut, he's probably going to be looking at a $14 million annual. Yep. And Derek Wolf, it's, he, I think that he might be lucky to get about $8 million mm-hmm. annually if he gets cut. And I would agree with that. But... Hey, that's why you listen to the show. <clears throat> that's why you read milehighhuddle.com as you hear the sensations out there. You read the headlines. You come here to get the, the inside info. You know, these are real sources cultivated around the league and close to the team that uh, can give us a, a more clear understanding of what's really going on. So, Eric, my friend, thanks for joining me on the show today. That's all the time we have. You can find Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Whether it's myself, Eric, Nick, Carl, tweet us your questions. We're always going to try to address your concerns on the podcast as often as we can. 
Check out becoming a VIP subscriber over at milehighhuddle.com. Right now I'm working on a podcast episode that will be dedicated fully to the Mile High Mailbag. So look with uh, look for that within the next couple days. And if you have questions, hit me up on Twitter and uh, make sure you're subscribing, y'all. For Eric, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile High Huddle. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this... But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.